right, welcome back to the big program. Uh, a lot of texts coming in at one 1440 We'll get to those in a little bit, uh, talking about travel and Lorianne's story in Russia and Ecuador. Uh, let's bring in um, Mark Spector, On the Mark, powered by Booster Juice. Visit a location today to refuel, refresh, and re-energize or download the new Booster Juice Rewards app to earn, order, and enjoy. Um, Morning, Speck. Uh, did you have, I mean, you've traveled all over the world covering stuff. When Laurie mentioned a couple of crazy forays into Russia and Ecuador, have you got one where maybe you had a little uh, scare on a plane or something like that uh, over your long, illustrious journalistic career? <laughs> well, we've all had stories where the landing gear wasn't coming down or... Mm-hmm. You know, the, all of a sudden you landed somewhere where you weren't scheduled to land. It's like a lottery, man. If you fly enough, you're going to win it eventually, right? And uh, for sure. My favorite flying story, though, it came from Barry Fraser, the old Oilers scout. He said uh, the first time he was in Russia, he gets on an Aeroflot plane. And uh, he sits down. He puts a seatbelt on. He says some guy walks in. He says he sits down, he's got a propane tank, puts it down between his feet, buckles up, and says, let's go. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Uh, so. Oh, I guess the rules are a little more lax on Aeroflot back in those days. <laughs> a little bit, for sure. Uh, for sure. But again, it can be a scary situation, for sure, uh, depending on you know where you are and, and things like that. And even for yourself, um, where would be some of the more extreme, like Lorianne was mentioning, you know, she was in Ecuador, then she went to Moscow. So you were, you've been covering stuff all over the world. Have you got maybe one that's a, more of an extreme kind of area that you went to? Uh, you know what? Not, I wouldn't say so. Like I've been to some Olympics, but they're not in, mm-hmm. in obscure places. They're in big giant spots like Athens and Sydney and Beijing and places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've covered the NHL circuit and a bunch of CFL and some baseball. So, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I've covered the back roads a lot, to mm-hmm. be honest. I've made a few day trips here and there along the way. But, uh, no, I'm sure Lorianne, having gone into some of these cycling meets in goofy places, would have me beat <laughs> when it came to, you know, going into – they don't play hockey in Ecuador, so I had not been there, Kevin. <laughs> so what about some of the best places you've been where would those be? Oh, there's a few of those. Um, you know what? It, it really depends on what you're trying to do. Like, what are the best places? Cover the World Series in, in old Yankee Stadium is mm-hmm. a best place, right? Yeah. Uh, going into the old Boston Gardens was a best place. You know, covering, um, going to Wrigley. Love Wrigley. Mm-hmm. Like, who doesn't want to go to Wrigley? Covering, you know what? Covering a CFL Grey Cup in Taylor Field was pretty cool, right? Yeah. Because... Those are the things that you can't do that anymore. You know, that's that's all gone. So for me, it was sort of the occasion mixed with, with the location. Um, you know, what I, I was telling you a story one time a little while ago about watching a, a weightlifting, a super heavyweight weightlifting competition in Athens at the Olympics. And mm-hmm. yep. just the, the, the mix of all the different things there, you know, the location and the, the people that were there and, and the fact that it was a bunch of Bulgarians and Iranians and Greeks, you can't do that in Philadelphia, you know? So you kind of got to mix them all together to find yourself with exactly the right formula. And you know, if you travel enough, once in a while you get to do that. Mm-hmm. Mark Spector is our guest uh, every 
Day at 8 o'clock, Carius uh, Munzer, Sports 1440 on a Monday, looking for a high of 21 degrees today. Nice uh, day shaping up. Uh, so, Spec, uh, Oilers lose 2-1 in a shootout uh, last night to the Winnipeg Jets. The two teams uh, back at it tonight in Winnipeg. Uh, give us your takeaway from just the first exhibition game of the season. Well, I think you'd like to obviously see more offense. I liked a lot of the things that I saw. Uh, I liked Holloway's game. He played with an urgency. You know, he, he threw the body around a little bit. Uh, I liked uh, Aki's game. I liked, um, you know, I thought I thought a kid like Aki who who saw get timid in their first yeah. game. I thought he liked to handle the puck. He wanted the puck on a stick. That's a good sign. Right, mm-hmm. uh, I like the fact that the, their top line with Kane and Hyman and Nugent Hopkins had the puck all night. I didn't like the fact they didn't score an even strength goal. So, you know, I think what the, the rule of thumb is in a first exhibition game, folks, preseason, you try to find some positives, and I think the negatives you let slide another day. You know, if 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 uh, I didn't think Borgo showed me anything, mm-hmm. but let's see where he let's give him another shot here, right? You yeah. know, I'm not going to jump on a guy for his first preseason game of the year. Uh, Olivier Rodrigue was excellent in goal, but let's face it, he's not playing in Edmonton this year, folks. So, <laughs> so that does you know he can be as good as he wants. He might be a call up. But he's not going to start the season here. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, what did you think, uh, uh, Brandon Sutter? First game in well, a couple of years. Uh, just, uh, I mean, to get through everything that Brandon Sutter's had to get through, just to get here, is a, is a big accomplishment. And he's still got a long road ahead of him. So, just your thoughts on Brandon Sutter? Well, you know what we we talked before camp even opened that if he's healthy and the long COVID. And, and the effects of it, uh, have he's, if he's finally got past that after battling it for two years, there's a hockey player there that's exactly what Evan needs. You know, I was talking to Connor McDavid in the press box last night, and he totally agreed. He said, this is, this is the guy we – this is the type of player we need on our fourth-line center. Uh, if Brandon Sutter's healthy, I've been telling you guys for – two weeks here. To me, it's his job all day long, fourth line center. They'll find a way to sign him off his PTO. And uh, you know what? He's, listen, even in his prime, Brandon Sutter didn't skate around and dangle and, and, and was the fastest guy on the ice and all those things, right? Mm-hmm. Brandon Sutter's just a solid, hard-grinding defensive centerman. Uh, had some offense in his day, scored over 20 a couple times. But at this stage in his career, uh, you're never gonna. You're seldom gonna walk out of the rink saying, "Man, did I ever notice Brandon Sutter?" You know, you're gonna notice him in in February, March, and April in the third period when he's winning a big draw and killing a penalty and doing those things. So, uh, I w- I think it's a pretty positive sign. He fit right in last night. He had five shots on goal. I think Hyman led the orders with six, uh, and that's the first game he's played in two years. He can only get better than that, can he? It was really interesting because back in July, he said he decided he was going to get on the ice and just train and do what he always does. Now, you're talking about finding all the positives. When the team, and I know this is just their first game, nerves are riding or the nerves are, are going really high, you know, take us through where the next couple of games are going to go. Yeah, that's it, right? Especially, you know, whether it's even Sutter said last night. He said, I haven't been nervous for a game in ages, you know, <laughs> for a preseason game. Who get When you're him, you're not nervous, but he was last night. So he can only get better. 
you know, you got kids out there that are playing their first game. I like I say, there were some guys that that mean to start to make an impression. You know, I thought I thought Burgo. I, I like Borgo as a right winger. I think he's a, he's supposed to be an offensive guy. I didn't think he had the puck in his stick enough last night. So, you know, there's a guy that needs to look at his game film and, and say, okay, I got to do a little bit more. Like those guys, there are certain guys that have to impress and they've reached the point in their career. I'm going to say when we start to see Raphael Lavoie, same thing. You know, I don't want to walk out of the rink mm-hmm. and wonder if Lavoie played. I want to walk out of the rink and talk about you know him coming down the right side and the shots he fired and and the chances that he had. So, Boeke, hey man, he's just here for a couple of days. Uh, he might get another game here, and then he's going back to Barry to play junior. We all know that. So, it's a different standard for different guys at this time of year for sure. Mark Spector on the mark every day eight o'clock on Sports fourteen forty. When I uh, I saw you down at the rink, I guess that would have been Thursday, and we interviewed Boeke. I was very, very impressed with his composure just for just a young guy. And again, these guys are so prepared right off the hop. I mean, uh, you could just even I, I would have thought he would have been nervous walking into that scrum. Uh, There's probably what, 10, 12 reporters kind of in cameras. Yeah, right. It, it, nothing. He it, it didn't phase him at all. I mean, it's amazing how these kids are so well versed early on <laughs> like this. Uh, yeah. And I think you want that. Like, I, you don't. You know, you want extroverts and you want confidence, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not saying that the interview process tells me what kind of player a guy's going to be, but I think I will say to you that that if the interview process um, makes you, you know, if it makes you shrink, mm-hmm. I wonder how you're going to handle a big moment in a hockey game, yeah. you know? So, yeah. like, I, I get it. It's nervous when all those microphones get shoved in your face, and it's not easy. Especially, Don't get me wrong. It's, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're a kid, but uh, this, you know what? I loved and I loved this game last night. Like he, he played the way he talked. He didn't, you know, when the puck was on a stick, he wasn't in a hurry to get rid of it. I've mm-hmm. seen NHL players who want to get rid of it faster than he did last night. So that's a good sign. It looks like there might be a player there. I think there is for sure. Uh, Mark Spector from uh, Rogers Sportsnet is our guest uh, every. Day at eight o'clock on Sports fourteen forty. Um, Oilers uh, hired Michael Parchetti for to head up their analytics department. What do you make of that? And where do analytics fit in with this franchise right now? Well, they're under Jeff Jackson. They're going to get prioritized a little bit, and that's good. Like there's to me, there's no reason why a franchise with this much wherewithal, right? This is one of the richest franchises in the National Hockey League. They should have a robust analytics department, and they haven't to this point. So, you know, why are you, you can only spend so much on players, but there's no cap on, on off-ice uh, spending. And one of those is analytics. So, Arcadi's been around town a long time. He knows what he's doing, I'm told. And, uh, you know, let's, let's see where it goes. I guess I'd say to you, you know, everybody out there knows my stand on analytics, that it's a, it's a piece of the pie. And those who are in the business, in the analytics business, often think it's a far bigger piece of the pie than I do. Uh, but it's a piece of the pie and a vital one. And if it gives you a little bit of an edge, why aren't the Edmonton Oilers at the forefront? Why have they been lagging behind for so long in analytics? It's time to catch up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we kind of started on travel. Uh, sorry, we kind of started on travel, Spec. Uh, did you get your passport figured out on Friday? I got my passport figured out. I'm picking it up on the 10th. I'm down there to pick it up. So, uh, you know, a guy had all summer to do it. But why would you waste <laughs> Why? 
Yeah. Why would you do it then when you could rush around and cram it in before the season starts? <laughs> yeah. Hey, and then uh, yesterday, or was it yesterday you posted a pic on uh, social media uh, yeah. out in the bush chopping some trees down or what? Yeah, yeah, well, there's a little trail out by our cabin, yeah. and their tree fell across it. And I thought, you know what, no one can walk down this trail, so I better go chop it up. And then I thought, well, why would I leave all this good wood in the bush? I must take it home and put it in my fire pit. So, uh, you know what, guys, this is just, <laughs> you're right, hockey, you go to hockey, it's one of the best jobs in the world, yeah. like I always say. I don't think I've worked a day in my life. But it's all so nice to hop in the quad and mm-hmm. put a chainsaw in your hand and and cut up a tree once in a while because it's completely different and uh, you can't write hockey and watch hockey every day. I didn't watch any NFL football yesterday. Because you were chopping uh, trees. Watch, well, I didn't watch a snap because it was such a beautiful day, yeah. right? The weather this this spring or fall, I should say, is unbelievable here. Uh, and if I need to wait till the snow flies to watch football, I guess that's what's going to happen. You, you look like a young frontier Fremont out there in the bush. <laughs> I was thinking Paul Bunyan. <laughs> oh, I was just thinking too. Like I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for like a like an ambulance to zip out there to the lake because Speck is yeah. the, the the chain has slipped on the saw or something. I'm thinking, man. Yeah, my wife makes me show her 10 fingers when I go out and then 10 <laughs> fingers when I come back just to make sure they're all still there. Oh, right. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for doing this, uh, Spec. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. I think the, the game's on TSN 3 tonight. A guy can well, watch it in Winnipeg, right? I don't know. I'm not sure on this, but I'm going to say to you it's probably a regional broadcast. Fair. So We might not uh, get like, it here. If okay. this was the regular season, you'd need the center ice package to watch it. But I, I know it's also up on Oilers uh, Plus. Yep. I, I so, think too. I think they might let it slide just for preseason, maybe. Preseason, well, maybe. I hope so because we'll I'm going to be watching it on TV, and I don't know if my center ice package from last year is going to work this year. So. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks for this, Spec. Uh, we'll hey, talk have to a you great tomorrow. Day. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Uh, that was on the mark. Energized by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need at Booster Juice. If you want to check out that picture of Spec on the uh, interweb, it's actually a very beautiful picture. His dog's in it. He's got the. It looks like he kind of knew what he was doing, to be honest with you, which I, I was stunned at that, just shocked. So um, when we come back, former Oiler Chris Joseph will join us uh, with Karius and Munzer on Sports 1440 right after the break. All right, welcome back to the big program, 821 in the Capital Region. Karius Munzer, Sports 1440 on a Monday morning, and we welcome in our next guest, former Edmonton Oiler Chris Joseph, uh, just off the night shift, working very hard to protect our city. Chris Joe, what do you know? Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? I'm a little tired, but I'll uh, I'll make it through today. Oh, how did you, was it a tough shift, honestly, last night? No, it wasn't bad. It was pretty usual. Uh, We were... Busy uh, for the early part of the shift, and then it got a little quieter, and then, yeah, nothing we're not used to. Yeah, I mean, how long have you been a firefighter now? I'm in my 17th year. 17th year. Absolutely amazing. And all, have you been in the same house, or did you move around a little bit? No, I move around all the time. Uh, When I was a firefighter, they uh, they put me, you know, you go two, three, maybe if you're lucky, four years in a hall. Um, and now I'm sort of an acting junior captain, uh, which puts me back sort of at the bottom of the seniority ranking mm-hmm. uh, in the captain group. So I move around like constantly right now. I'm in that 
demographic where I'm in a different hall every time. Okay. Chris Joseph is our guest, uh, Kevin Carries. Lorianne Munzer, I don't know if you guys have ever met uh, Chris Joe, but Lorianne won Olympic gold medal in 2004 in cycling in Athens. And uh, I think she's kind of got a, a question for you regarding how uh, your transition's been and kind of what you compare things like. Hi, Chris. Kevin says you're in fantastic physical condition. Is that true? Uh, No. Uh, Maybe for a 54-year-old guy, I'm doing okay, but I am not in fantastic physical condition. Well, maybe we got to get you on a bike this winter. What do you say? Sounds good. Right on. Hey, transitioning from the NHL, um, I know I speak with a lot of athletes, and sometimes that transition is good. Sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes, you know, there's that whole other spectrum of the downward spiral. Can you talk about your transition and how did you find, you know, this, this fit? 17 years as a firefighter, now junior captain. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, you're not wrong in, you know, the transition. Um, it's It can be difficult because, you know, in a lot of ways, I came from knowing one thing. I was good at hockey. That was it. I didn't have any really life skills, and I was sheltered from all the other life skills. Um, <clears throat> when I was done hockey, they basically said, okay, you have no transferable skills, which I mean, I shouldn't say that, uh, but you don't really know how to do anything. And so it's difficult. You know, you're the one thing that you were good at and you loved, they just took it away from you. So there's a big identity loss there. Um, but the intangibles that athletes do have is that they know how to grind. They know how to work hard. Um, they know that, you know, you start at the bottom for the most part. Uh, and so they do get back to work. So I was lucky in that, I kind of knew what I wanted. I didn't know if I was going to get there. Um, but when I played junior hockey, I had some guys that start, go, got on the Burnaby Fire Department in Vancouver at a young age, and I would hang out with them and talk to them. And I, I said, you know, that's something I think I want to try. So my last year playing pro over in Europe, I did all my firefighting. Uh, they're you know, called the NFPA 1001s. I had to do all this training and get my medical stuff organized, got my driving stuff organized. And by the time I was finished my last season in Italy, I uh, I was able to come home and apply and I had my ducks in a row and I, I guess I did well enough to get on. That's fantastic. So similarities between hockey and fire. So hockey teams, fire, what are, what are the similarities? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of similarities for sure. Number one is team. Um, I am one of those people, I'm sure like you guys as well, I'm, I'm not that great when I'm by myself, but I feel really good and really strong and really confident when I'm with a good team. And, uh, you know, you basically take that NHL team and you, you know, you're in the dressing room and you move it to the kitchen table at the fire hall and you've got that same team. And, you know, the other similarities are, you know, it's physical, um, there's an adrenaline rush, um, you know, in fire, we're either, we're either dead quiet or it's chaos. There's no in between. So, you know, you get that little bit of a rush. Um, but the biggest thing is just the team. Uh, I work with some unbelievable people and I look forward to going to work every day. And a lot of times we, we sit around and we just talk. Um, but every now and then, you know, you get some action and you, you really see the quality of people that you're working with. So, 
uh, that's been my biggest joy over mm-hmm. 17 years. Cool. Uh, we're with Chris Joseph on Sports 1440. How uh, fired up are you for Oilers alumni hockey to be back here, Joe? Very. I mean, <laughs> other than the fact that we get a little older and a little slower every year. But, um, yeah, I know it's, it's exciting. Um, even though we've been removed from the game, you know, as players for a long time, we're fortunate that we get to go step on Rogers uh, ice and we get to enjoy the facility and you get to see old friends and Mm -hmm. you get to stretch your legs and maybe have a a drink and a slice of pizza after, after the session. So it's just a a great networking, great fun. Uh, I think we all accept the fact that we're, (laughs) we're not as good as we once were and that's okay. Um, So we get out there and we have a lot of fun. So I can't wait. Yeah, except for Tassoni, right? He still thinks it's big time, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't like the young guys. The young guys that just retired. Yeah. They're like, they're like, damn it, you're still fast. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we just try and chop them down. Mm. So when Tassoni and Chimera <laughs> yeah. and Schmid and Fistrick and those guys get out there, we just we just want to put a lasso around them and slow them down. But uh, no, it's fun. Oh, for sure, a lot of fun for sure. Uh, Chris Joseph uh, is our guest. Uh, uh, Chris, you were part of the one of the biggest trades in Oilers history um, in uh, 1987. Uh, you came from uh, Pittsburgh, who drafted you number five overall, uh, along with Craig Simpson and a couple other uh, pieces to the puzzle as well, for Paul Coffey uh, and, and uh, Davey Hunter, and there were some other um, pieces in that trade as well. But what do you recall about just, I mean, because you hadn't played in the NHL yet, you were still... Uh, I shouldn't say that. You were just starting your career with Pittsburgh. You played, you know, I think about 15, 20 games. But yeah. uh, what was that like to be part of that trade and a whole new start for you, you know, coming to Edmonton? Well, uh, at the time, I mean, I was 18 years old. I had just gotten my feet wet in Pittsburgh, and I'd played, I think, 17 games at that point. And uh, I come off the ice practice and find out I'd been traded and, it, my world was spinning. I, you know, I, I wanted to be in Pittsburgh. I, I was excited to be drafted by Pittsburgh. But growing up in Vancouver, <laughs> for whatever reason, I was an Oilers fan, probably mm-hmm. because of Gretzky and those guys. So uh, I was excited to come to Edmonton. Um, but then it quickly dawned on me that, oh boy, I've got a tough lineup to crack here. Um, you know, their defense was solid. They were they were winning cups still then, and uh, Gretzky was still here. Um, it was it was unbelievable, um, but it was also difficult for me. You know, like I, I think in a lot of ways, if I would have remained in Pittsburgh, I would have had a little bit more of a slow growth uh, trajectory. Uh, and who knows, you know, how I would have ended up. But um, I think that first year here in Edmonton was was challenging. You know, I was up down. I was uh, I was in the minors. I played on six teams that year. If you include my junior team, my the national juniors, the the uh, national men's team. Um, wow. Yeah, I played, I ended up going to Halifax at the end of the year, playing with the Oilers farm system. So I played on six different teams this, mm-hmm. that year. So uh, it was difficult for sure. Um, How do you juggle that, Chris? Like you're, it sounds like you're all over the country, all over the map. How do you yeah. juggle that as a new team member, but also as an athlete? I think for me, it was... Uh, you know, I was in my headspace a lot, good and bad. Um, you know, there's times when you, as a as an athlete, you think you're a world beater and you can do anything. And then there's other times when you think you, you've got no skills and you're worthless. And, you know, sometimes you even get people telling you you're worthless. But I think at the end of the day, I just, 
really loved hockey and I just really wanted to be a hockey player. So I did the whatever I could. So I was moving around constantly. I think that year mm-hmm. I spent a day in Moscow by myself on Christmas <laughs> Eve. Like I, I was there with the, the national men's team in the Vestia tournament and it was pre-Christmas. Then they said, okay, we're leaving, but you're going to stay and the national junior team's mm-hmm. coming for a day. And this was in 1987-88 and they'll be here in 24 hours. Uh, you just kind of hang out in this hotel in Russia by yourself in Moscow. You know, p- there was people in Moscow waiting in bread lines and potato lines at the time and I didn't leave my hotel room for 24 hours. I'm in a, you know, uh, basically a communist country by myself at Christmas. And, you know, I think I think I had the ability to call home, collect from Moscow for, you know, 15 minutes, talk to mom and dad. Um, but I don't know. I think I just I just really wanted to be a hockey player. And I, you know, I, I guess my parents raised me right to say, you know, when times get tough, you just bear down and you just keep grinding. Well, you, Laurie Ann mentioned her story in Moscow just, uh, you know, about half an hour ago and how she had an experience there. And it's kind of neat that you've kind of shared that with us. And so you were, that was the year after the punch up in Piastani? That was, yeah. So I played in the punch up in Piastani in the 86, 87 mm-hmm. year. And then the 87, 88 year was in Moscow. And funny enough, they, after we got disqualified and suspended, they said, okay, both teams are suspended for two years and then somebody in the IHF said uh, the tournament's in Moscow next year <laughs> and then the authorities are like okay both teams are suspended for 11 and a half months you know and so really it meant nothing but uh, yeah so that was the following year I was one of four players that got to play on both those teams um, touch on that punch up in Piastani I mean you've been interviewed about it many times there's been books written about it and things like that so um I mean, it was a crazy course of events. Um, just to yeah. kind of explain to our listeners kind of what went down there. Well, okay, so this was back in the day there was no playoffs. So it was all round robin. So let's say you played seven games against seven different teams. The team with the best record won the gold medal. The team with second best won the uh, silver. So there was mm-hmm. no playoffs. So basically you were just going for points. And at that point, going into the final game, and it was a Canada-Russia final because we had finished on the top the year before. So just kind of how they worked the schedule. And the Russians, uh, they were out of it. They had a terrible team. They weren't, uh, they wouldn't say terrible. They were underperforming. Mm -hmm. They were getting treated really poorly. We heard rumors after the fact that they weren't getting fed after losses. And uh, we were a good team. Like we were, I think we had a loss against the Czechs and a tie against the Finns, but we were winning all the other games. And uh, so we were going into that one. Uh, if we had won by five goals, we got the gold. If we won by less than five, we got the silver. And if we lost, we got the bronze. So we had a medal wrapped up. We were halfway through the second. Uh, we were up 4-2. It was a chippy, chippy game. The Russians seemed to want to rain on our parade, which they ultimately did. Um, but they had no medal contention for them at all, and they just wanted to spoil ours. And the game got chippy. We didn't know. You know, it was a tough – junior hockey was tough back in those days. We had a Norwegian referee, a Polish linesman, and a Finnish linesman that kind of couldn't keep up with uh, the play of the game. And, yeah. you know, one elbow turned into one stick to one slash, and before you know it, uh, there was a fight on the ice, and then there was a second fight on the ice. And I was on the ice – um, when it happened. So I think I was the second fight wow. next to Fleury. Yeah. 
Fleury, yeah. But yeah, but then I look up and both benches are coming, and I let my guy go. I skated around. I went down to where the goalies were. I skated right past uh, Stefan Waugh, Patrick Waugh's brother. He was getting two on one, and I didn't even see him. Like it was, it was chaos. I went around, um, tried helping guys out a little bit, and then the lights went out, and we all know that story. Uh, and it got a little sillier even then. So we had guys that, you know, when the lights go out, you can't see anything. And then all of a sudden you can make out dark and light. Well, we knew, you know, we were wearing one color and the mm-hmm. Russians were in the other. So guys are going around suckering guys. And it was not good. It was it was bad. And then the referees left the arena. They stood in the hallway and shrugged their shoulders and kind of threw their arms in the air. And uh, we ended up breaking ourselves up. And, uh, you know, after we broke ourselves up, we'd go in the dressing room and we're sort of hooting and hollering. We think Mm -hmm. it's a typical junior hockey game for us because we had brawls in junior back then. And it wasn't common, but it wasn't entirely uncommon. And our manager comes into the room and he tells us that we have been disqualified from the tournament we have been uh, kicked out of the country. And this was Czechoslovakia back in the day. They kicked us right out of the country. So (laughs) we were, we ran the gamut of emotions. We had guys swearing, we had guys crying, we had guys silent. It was just, it was, it was, it was unreal. So then we, we shower up, we get out, we got to be out of the building fast. And as we leave the dressing room, a procession all the way from our dressing room door to the bus was Czechoslovakian military. And we had to walk right down the middle. And every member of the military had a machine gun over his shoulder and a German shepherd on the other hand on a leash. And we walked right down the middle and we got on our bus and I think we drove to, I don't even know where we drove to. I think we drove to like Zurich Hmm. and we just, slept in the airport for 12, 12 hours and came home like it was crazy. It's, it's like just a fascinating story. And and you're 18 years old, right? Yeah, I was uh, actually 17. That, that was my pre-draft year, so I wasn't even 18 yet. Oh, um, yeah. Text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. This comes from Wes. Ask Chris about his rollerblade career, please. I don't think I had a rollerblade career other than pushing my kids on bikes. <laughs> well, he must know something anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I never really, I never played roller hockey, um, but I did try rollerblading with the kids when they would ride their bikes mm-hmm. and uh, not very good at that. I don't do well on bumpy surfaces. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's been five years since the uh, Humboldt Broncos bus crash. You, you lost your son, yeah. Jackson. Um, I mean... Can't imagine what it's been like and what it was like for you and Andrea and everyone. Um, but you've helped so many people along the way. You did a um, Breathe Parents podcast. How how has, did that help you, and how has it helped others? Do you think? Well, I think it. I mean, <clears throat> whether it's helped me or not, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels good to to verbalize things and get things off my chest. Other times, it's re-traumatizing to. Mm-hmm. to bring it up. Um, so I don't know how much it helps. Uh, we've, we've done counseling. Um, we've, we've been through it a lot. And even after five and a bit years, you know, there's days when we still think Jackson's going to walk through the front door and mm-hmm. it just, you know, it, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, we just passed his birthday on September 15th and, you know, my wife 
put a big post out there on Instagram and, uh, you know, just working on that post, you know, she cried for three, four hours in the mm-hmm. morning, just working on it. And, uh, so it's always there. Um, you know, I don't think we'll ever get, we'll never be the same. Mm-hmm. I know that the moment that, you know, our son passed away, it changed us forever. Um, and that's not necessarily bad. Like we're not worse people and I don't know if we're better people, we're definitely more compassionate. Um, but you know, we think about, uh, the other 16 families and then the other 13 families of the injured players. And we think about the players all the time. And, uh, we're a little more protective of our other kids. Uh, it's just, you know, something that you have to learn to live with. Everybody's got loss, and that was ours. And I'm sure that you know, there's going to be more down the road. But I mean, everybody's got something. So mm-hmm. you just you never know what what somebody else is sort of carrying. Chris Joseph uh, is our guest on Sports 1440. Um, you kind of it's that old saying: you, you never, you don't get over it. Um, you just sort of get kind of used to it. But what I was sort of saying is that you've helped. You know, be, because of all the things that you've kind of. Uh, been involved in you've helped other people kind of get through even though as you said maybe you're not sure if it helped you but what about just the fact that you're helping others kind of get through things as well yeah and you know i i can appreciate the fact that maybe i have helped some people just by you know telling my story Mm -hmm. um you know we when we lost jackson it was national news it was uh, the story of the year in 2018 so all we sort of knew was this big you know, over media story, like it was massive. Um, but there's so many people that, that lose loved ones quietly on a, on a daily basis. And so it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it harder. It's, you know, it's still for that person, it's still, you know, they feel their world is crumbling down. So, and sometimes they don't have the support, you know, like we were told by some people, you know, Oh, have you ever tried like a group therapy session? And we're like, well, we don't need a group therapy session because we have a group. We have, I got friends, I have the Tobins and the Hunters and the and the Wax here in St. Albert and Stony Plain. The Lucans are in Slave Lake. If, if I need to talk to somebody, I, I talk to them right away, you know, because they're right here. So we have a group, but uh, some people don't have that and they find that that's beneficial. But, you know, it's, it's always good, I think, to share. You know, if you if you're vulnerable, if you're if you're hurting, I think it's always good to share. You know, because there are good people out there that uh, you know they want to help, and you know, or at least they can share common experiences. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I I do it just because I think it's a little bit cathartic for me just to get it out. Well, we appreciate you sharing uh, that part of uh, your story with us uh, this morning, and uh, can't wait to see you again. Uh, I haven't seen you all summer, actually. I guess. Uh, because um, uh, the golf tournament schedule was a little different for us this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But look forward to seeing you at the uh, Alumni Skates. Uh, thanks for being on with us uh, this morning, and uh, and thanks for serving uh, with the fire department for 17 years. You're uh, just a, a credit to our community, and uh, we really appreciate you having having you here in, in Edmonton, St. Albert. Well, thank you very much for having me on, uh, Kevin and Laurie, and uh, good luck with the rest of the show. Hey, we'll thanks. see you guys soon. You betcha. That's uh, Chris Joseph, uh, one of the all-time greats for sure. Uh, still lots more to come uh, on the Kevin Carey Show with Laurie Ann Munzer. More right after the break. 
All right, welcome back to the big program, 847 in the Capital Region. Uh, lots of uh, text coming in to one 401 uh, Thanks to Chris Joseph for uh, sharing his story. Uh, many angles uh, the, in that interview. Uh, Wes writes in, lost two sons myself. My heart was with Chris at the time. Um, Cooper sends in, got to know Chris at the Alzheimer's tournament, and my son gave him a big hug. Uh, he's sending Chris a big hug now, listening to him talk about his son, uh, Jackson. So, uh, again, uh, you know, we've talked about that for a long time, and as Chris said, you know, it just it was a tough, very tough, difficult time. And it's, uh, but again, we thank him for sharing. Um, yeah. I mean, you've, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with something to this extreme, Lorianne, but I mean, with your job now being kind of a mindset coach and you're probably helping people as well to kind yes. of get through difficult uh, times of times of loss. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you kind of heard what, what Chris said and, yeah. you know, the, the, I think, again, it's a healing process that just is ongoing, ongoing. It is. And it's something that will always be there. And it, depends too on on how you choose to look at it so um, where do you want to go with it they're always going to be here doesn't mean it's going to be easy because it's not that is something that's not easy no for sure uh text coming in that we uh, didn't get to uh, Lorianne had some stories of her exploits <laughs> all over the world oh there's um, stories kevin the the first one this comes from jordo and uh, sorry we just uh, had a couple interviews to get through and uh, uh, jordo i agree with kevin the ecuador story sounds terrifying uh, so cool stories there Craig in Red Deer sends this one. I've been all over the world, including Russia. Do not, you do not carry your passport on you. You always leave it in the hotel safe and carry a photocopy of your passport. Everyone knows that. Now you know it. I know that now Uh, from Moscow. And thank you so much for that. That is a great idea. The other thing is in Cuba, early in the 90s when we went, if you went out of the velodrome, so we trained at the athletic center, the velodrome, then you had to take your passport. So it all depends mm-hmm. on where you are. And, and the crazy thing is on with the CCA, the Canadian Cycling Association, we get sent here, there, and everywhere. And, and I remember when we went to Poland, we didn't even have a visa. Hmm. And you, you get to immigration, they go, okay, well, where's your visa? Visa? What do you mean visa? You know, all we knew with this, this guy named Christian from France was coming to meet us. And half the time, I don't even think we had the proper documents. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, I mean, you heard Chris talk about uh, when he was in Piastani, 1987. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, uh, what a story. Um, there's been books about it. I think Gare Joyce wrote a book years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't remember. I think it was just called The Night the Lights Went Out. But um, so back then, the wall hadn't even come down yet. No. Nope. So, you know, you've got all these communist countries. When you were kind of competing, that had changed a little bit. Uh, did you see that when you were kind of over in Europe and, and uh, you know, in, in those kind of Eastern Bloc countries? Well, there's a whole other set of rules. And then there's the unwritten rules. And it's just sometimes you don't know what the rules are. So you have to go with the flow. A lot of the times you're on instinct of going, okay, do I have that feeling of this is a great area, this is a great building to go into, or do we need to ask a lot more questions? So there's there's a whole bunch of other unwritten rules out mm-hmm. there. 
and sometimes you don't find out until you get there. Like when we were in Cali, Colombia, I remember the first time I was there, they filed us Canadians onto like a school bus and we waited for about an hour, hour and a half. And it wasn't until the military got all of the athletes who had come in on various flights that we had military escort to our hotels, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Open Uzis, two guys on a motocross bike. You know, I've got pictures of this and they're going forward and backward and they're circling around the bus. And it's just crazy. It's wild. And, you know, the first time you go to this, you know, your eyes are as big as saucers and you're just going, what's going on? And there's nothing that can prepare you. And you just got to go into a lot of these situations, just open, relaxed, let the, some of this stuff flow and happen and yeah. don't say anything. Just keep your eyes open. Kevin Carius, Lorianne Munzer, Sports 1440 on a Monday morning. Lorianne is our co-host, 7 to 9 every Monday. You seem to have brought up a lot of South America countries, stories. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you laughing at now? There's more. <laughs> Spent a lot of time. And yeah, there is a lot of stories. There's always adventures. Stories and, and adventures, when you look back, you just go, oh my God, were these some of the things that we did? Yep. Are they all true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I, I can't imagine the the punch-up story. It's like, oh my God, okay. They never turned the lights out on us in the velodrome. <laughs> if we were riding and the lights went out, we would be in big trouble because our bikes only had one gear, no brakes. We're on a 45-degree angle. And you're threading the needle with the lights on when you're going full tilt, 60, mm-hmm. 70 K an hour, sometimes behind a motorbike. What if they did turn the lights on? What could you, could you, could Chaos. you navigate? Could you navigate the uh, velodrome? I could navigate the velodrome. Coolest part was in Manchester. I could feel everything. I knew how the wooden boards felt. I knew what they sounded like high up on the boards in the middle at the bottom of the track. So there's different services that you could navigate, but, uh, if you've got a hundred other riders, mm-hmm. it's going to be a massive pileup. Hey, explain the difference between those boards. So on the track where you can feel the difference between where you are top to bottom. Oh my goodness. Well, the tracks are built and they're all different. There's never two tracks that are identical. You've got wood tracks, you have concrete tracks in Ontario. There's even an outdoor asphalt track, which is crazy because the hotter it gets, the softer the asphalt gets, just like the road. But all of the boards are screwed down. So sometimes they will be screwed down that it becomes an even faster track. So indoor is always the best, but the boards, as you ride over them, they make a sound. Mm-hmm. And it's like, imagine the most pristine hardwood floor ever yeah. that you've, you've ever ridden on. There's also painted lines, but the paint is different so that it's grippy, so that you don't slip on the track. You've got the sponsors, decals that are in the, the turns. And it's just, as you move higher up on the track, there's a different sound and there's a different feeling. And there's a certain point, Kevin, that you can get mm that you practice down at the bottom, how slow can you go without sliding and crashing? Because if you're up at the top, you know, you're, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 feet high up, you don't want to slip and crash because then you got to restart the race. But it's just the wood, there's a sound. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like a musician with a guitar or or the drums. There's, there's a feeling, there's a sound and you can feel that through your feet in your shoes, through your yeah. pedals, and you can feel it through your handlebars. Yeah. Oh, 
Cool stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear more about this next Monday and some more South American exploits. <laughs> sure. Think about some real good ones for us. I want to I wanna really deep dive into this South America. I mean, I think there's a lot of good stories that you're just kind of hiding. There's a lot of good ones. <laughs> All right. Stay thanks. tuned. Thanks, Laurie Ann Munzer, our Monday morning uh, co-host, uh, 7 to 9 on 1440. Uh, at the top of the hour, our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter will be Elks coach and GM Chris Jones. Before that, uh, a sports update brought to you by Cattail Crossing. Enjoy half-price golf Monday to Thursday. Elevate your game without emptying your wallet. Book your tee time today. Cattailcrossing.ca. Here is the Duke.